morning. We are reading Exodus 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. When they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented a fellowship offering. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Let's do a little bit of praying this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you for worship. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, forgiveness of sins. God, we are so grateful this morning. You are a good God, and it's good to be here in your house with your people. So right now, I want you to pray something. Just, you know, it's your time to pray. So God, just pray, pray something like this. God, open my spiritual eyes and ears. Help me to hear and see what you want me to hear and see this morning. Convict me where I need conviction. Encourage my heart where I need encouragement. And I ask you to stir my affections for Jesus. Can you pray that this morning? So God, right now, we pray at this time comes under your kingdom authority, reign and rule. God, we pray that you would just remove all the distractions from our mind and our heart. God, that we would hear clearly from you in this moment as we study your word. If you agree with that, say amen this morning. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of mess things up because I get in a hurry. Especially like Sunday mornings, like I kind of get tense and a little bit um, concerned about what's going to happen here on Sunday morning. So I get kind of in a hurry. And I guess about 15, maybe about 15 years ago, I was in a hurry to get ready for church, to come to church. And um, so I was going to, already got dressed, just ready. I mean, like I just had a few minutes. I needed to walk out, get in the truck, head to church. And I went to go make a protein shake. When I made the protein shake, in a hurry, got all the stuff in there, put the powder in, all the stuff, water, milk, ice, all that, put it in there, and turned it on high. And when I turned it on high, I did not have the lid secured. And man, I mean, it was like a bomb, chocolate bomb went off. You know what I mean? It's like, it spattered up on the ceiling, all over me. I mean, it covered everything. So as you can imagine, that's not to make a preacher cuss right there. I didn't cuss, by the way. But as you can imagine, that did not hurry things up that morning. That slowed things down. And it did not take away from the tension and everything that I was feeling. It just added to it that morning. So can you relate this morning? Have you ever gotten a hurry to do something and in the process of your hurry, it messes everything up. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, it is dangerous to have zeal without knowledge. Here's what you look at. And the one who acts hastily makes poor choices. This is the New English translation. You want the New East Texas translation? Here it is. Getting in a hurry is like spreading butter with a chainsaw. <laughs> is that true this morning? Man, we get in a mess sometimes when we get in a hurry. And the problem is, is that we want God to hurry. And, you know, there's just some things you cannot hurry. Things that you can't hurry. You can't hurry spiritual growth. 
You can't hurry building trust with someone. You can't hurry the grieving process. You can't, there's some things that you can't learn and have a mastery of quickly. You can't hurry healing. And you gotta understand something this morning. Some of y'all are wanting so badly to forgive and sometimes you can't hurry forgiveness. You can't hurry nature's processes. I mean, this is something that our grandparents and great-grandparents, they understood this. They would go out and they would plant and it would grow and they'd have to wait on the, the crops to come in. They knew that that was something for us today. I mean, like we go to the grocery store, man, if they're out of something we don't want, that's a bad day for us, you know what I mean? We have a hard time with understanding that you can't hurry nature's processes. You can't hurry relationship building. You cannot hurry, and this is what we really need to talk about a little bit this morning too. You cannot hurry character development, and you can't hurry, the last two are really important. You can't hurry the work of God, and that's what we want. We want God to hurry right here. We want relief. We want to get to where God wants us to be. And we talk about living our kingdom purpose, and so many times we want to live our kingdom purpose right here and right now, and I'm telling you all the time, I'm trying to help you understand this. It's not a destination, it is a direction. You live your kingdom purpose when you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right where you are, right in this place, right where you're at right now, in your job, in your family. You live your kingdom purpose when you're seeking first the kingdom of God. So please get this out of your mind about getting to a certain place or a certain thing, achievement, it's not about the achievement, it's about the process. As you go, here we are, Exodus chapter 32. If you're, the context in this, Moses is up on the mountain. God has given him, not only given him the commandments, but also God has given him the building of the tabernacle. We just got through with God's instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Tabernacle is a tent, a place of they're going to worship. They're going to have gold, silver. It's going to take a little bit of time to build this, and it's going to protect God's presence. If you remember that, you got the Holy of Holies, where like only the high priest once a year can go in the Holy of Holies. Everybody else is outside. So it's protecting the holiness, the presence of God, it's a process that takes time. Now, this may be shocking to you, but they have a problem with the process. The people do. The people right here, it says that when the people, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down, so he's been up there about 40 days. You know, we, you know he's been up there. That's what they, so they struggle with waiting for 40 days while Moses is up on the mountain. Now you have to when they're looking at the mountain, Remember, the mountain is like it's on fire at the top of the mountain. The presence of God. They can go out there anytime they want to, look up at the mountain and go, hey, look, there is the presence of Yahweh. They can see anytime they want to. Moses went up into that presence. They're waiting for Moses to return. Moses is not delaying. Are you with me on this? Moses, Moses is not up there thinking, oh, I'm just going to take my time getting back down to those people. God is speaking to him. It is a process. I don't know if you're hearing me this morning. God is speaking to him, and it is a process. See, listen, some of us, we're like, I just have not heard from God. I want to tell you once again, God's been speaking to you all the time. You're in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you all the time, 24-7. It's not that God's not speaking to you, it's just that you're not hearing. You're not in the position where you can hear clearly. When you ever get in a position where you can hear very clearly what God's saying to you, it's, it's an astounding thing, and you're like, man, I just heard from the Lord. Man, the Lord's in this place. Oh, God's everywhere. The problem is, is that my heart's not in the place where I can hear God clearly most of the time. I am distracted. I want God to hurry up. I want to get there. I want Moses to come back down, tell us what to do. We need to move on. I don't want to stay here. That's where they are right there. Got, where's the promised land? Let's get moving on. 40 days. So look at this. Coming down. So they, they think Moses had laid and coming down from the mountain. So they gathered around Aaron and they said, come on now. Make Elohim's, plural. 
Make Elohims for us who will go before us because this Moses, and this is, you know, we don't get this in English. Very negative connotations right here in the Hebrew. This Moses, the man who brought us up from the land. Did Moses bring them up from the land? Because, I mean, I was thinking that there was a presence leading them, a fire by night and a cloud by day that's leading them. Now, they're saying, now, this man Moses, negative connotation, man, this man Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Are they growing impatient? Can anybody relate this morning? Man, I mean, I want God to move. I want God to move right now. I want God to give me patience to give it to me right now. That's what we do. We want God to do something right now. So the negative connotation right here in all of this is that this is taking too long. Have we as a culture gotten better at this or worse at this? I mean, it's like the, it's like the faster the processes we get in our culture, the more impatient we grow. And the more of a struggle we have with waiting on God. Because that's what we're talking about today. We are talking about you waiting on God to do what God's going to do. Here's the worst thing we ever do. And I've done this many times. I still struggle with this today. Jump ahead of God. Because I want to do things. And this is what they're doing right here. They're saying, man, get us some Elohims right here. Because here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Are you listening? Say amen. Because this is why you came to church. If you missed this, you missed the whole reason you're here. It's a whole lot easier to work for God than to work with God. We got a whole bunch of people that are working for God, but they're not working with God. I've done that before. I've worked for God, but not worked with God. Do things my way. This is the way I think it should run. This is the way things, God, listen, you need my advice. Let me tell you, this is how things should go. You should do this to that person over there, by the way. I need you to be moving in this way, doing this kind of stuff, and I'm giving God direction, and I'm getting in there, and I'm doing things the way that I think they should go. Henry Blackaby, experiencing God, hit the nail on the head. We need to see what God is doing and then join him in that. See the work that God is already doing and join him in that. That's a pretty good guarantee that I'm not going to be working against God. Because sometimes when I start working for God, I end up working against God. Let's talk about this. Let's look at your outline this morning. Some dangers of impatience and discontentment. Impatience can make us trade God's wisdom for our own shortcuts. Because this is a shortcut. We don't need to build a tabernacle. What we need you to do, Aaron, is we just need you to go and make us some Elohims, some little gods, some idols, something that I can look at. Because i got a whole problem. Even though they're seeing the cloud and they're seeing the fire, they're having a problem because they want a more tangible God. They want a God that they can control. They want a God that they can manipulate. Do you realize that sometimes when we start telling God what we think he should do, we're trying to manipulate him? Do you realize this morning there's people all across the United States that are in church on Sunday morning, and their whole intention of going to church is to manipulate God to do something for them? You have to understand something. God, we have to, when we look at this right here, and we talk about the shortcuts, anytime I start to try to take a shortcut spiritually, I'm moving in the wrong direction. I'm going to talk about the people in my realm. There's a whole bunch of preachers out there right now that are reading these little self-help books about these, me- these mega church pastors that have written about how you grow your church. And they're trying to do these things in their church to try to grow their church. I want to tell you something. Some of these principles may be good. They may be right. I'm not saying they're all wrong, but I know this much. Without the power and the Spirit of God, you grow nothing. We grow, we grow, we may grow some people sitting in seats that come and go, but the only the Spirit of God changes and transforms our heart and truly grows us. We should be much more concerned with growing our hearts and growing our spiritual lives than we are growing people in the congregation. 
If we grow spiritually, all of us, if we get our hearts right with God, we start joining God in what he's doing, then guess what? It's naturally going to happen. You're naturally going to see true growth in a church, people getting baptized, people growing, people wanting to come out on Monday nights, study the Bible, learn more and grow, marriages, families, getting stronger. This is what church is all about. Not about getting a whole bunch of rears and seats. Number two, impatience blinds us to God's previous acts of deliverance and provision, leading us to a loss of trust in his future faithfulness. How many times have we seen in the book of Exodus, you need to remember, you need to remember, you need to remember, 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 remember. You know why why the Bible says that over and over again? Because we tend in the moment to forget what God's done in the past. We tend to forget the wonderful, awesome things he's delivered us from in the past. So, David, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David's dad, Jesse, sends him. He's already been anointed the next king of Israel. As a teenager, he's a shepherd out tending his father's flocks. Samuel's already come by and anointed him the next king of Israel. His big brothers all stood in line, and they watched as one of them went out and got the little boy that was out there tending the sheep, probably a teenager, brought him in, and they watched Samuel bust that oil and anoint him right in front of them. Eliab, the oldest one, the biggest, the strongest, the best-looking one. No doubt he did not like that. No doubt he didn't look at him and think, that old man got it wrong. I should be the next king of Israel. I'm bigger, smarter, tougher. I whipped him 10 times the last few weeks. I should be the next king of Israel. David goes back out tending sheep. Eliab, a warrior for Israel, goes to the front line. He's out there with the rest of the brothers. They're out there, and you know how the story goes. Maybe you don't, but this is how it goes. They're against the Philistines. Philistines send out their number one prize warrior. His name is Goliath. Goliath stands out there and says, you send one man down. One man down here. Me and him will fight hand-to-hand combat. The one who wins, the whole team wins. I win, all the Philistines win. Y'all are submit to us. If your, your, your warrior wins, then y'all, he, 40 days, where he come down? 40 days, 40 nights. Yelled at them, blasphemed Yahweh to their face. Said, y'all are all cowards. Your God's not a real God. All that, all the time. David comes, David comes walking up on the scene with a sandwich bag. <laughs> and he looks around. He goes, what's going on? Somebody comes out, and they start telling him. They said, well, there's, there's a giant over there, man. We all, he wants to fight somebody. And he start, David starts to turn the next question. Ask another, but what's, what's going on? And they're like, well, hey, this is it. And so, what happens to the guy that goes down there and, and beats him? Well, you know, we all win. That dude gets to marry the king's daughter. All taxes are relieved from all the family from here on out. It's all good. Eliab, the big bad brother, hears. Eliab comes over there and says, hey, boy, you get back home. I know your wicked heart. You just come out here to see the battle. You just, you're messed up now. Here's the thing. David doesn't have the wicked heart. Eliab's the one with the wicked heart. And that's why he got passed over. And that's why he's jealous of his little brother. So he said, will not you just get back home? So David says, man, what are you, David, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I didn't, I'm not doing anything. So David says, tell you what, I'll take him on. Said, All right, pull him in there to Saul. Bring him in there to King Saul. Saul is the one that should be going down and fighting him, by the way. Right. Saul is the one that, that has got the position of the king of Israel. The problem is, even though he's got the position, he doesn't have the anointing. David's got the anointing. David is, a, David is a whole different place than Saul is. So David comes walking in there to Saul, and he said, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. When he got there towards, towards Goliath, 
Here comes a teenage boy walking in there and says, no doubt, I believe Saul's got his men around him too in the tent. David's walking right there in the middle of them. 40 days they've been suffering. Listen to this. Don't let anybody down there be discouraged by him. Your servant will go down and fight the Philistine. No doubt there was a snicker that went through the tent. <laughs> Gets even worse. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a boy. And he's been a warrior since he was a boy. So his brother said, you can't. He goes in the king. The king says, you can't. See, here's the situation is that whenever you have got a kingdom purpose in your life, don't expect everybody to crowd around you and say, you can. You better be expecting everybody to crowd around you and say, you can't. Because, here's, I'm going to tell you the truth, because you can't. David knows he can't. They're probably they're all sitting there, they're telling him, can't. And I was like, David's sitting there, thinking, oh, I can. David's sitting there, plus, they're going, yeah, you're right, I can't. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep, which they probably all laughed out loud then. <laughs> a shepherd boy. Whenever the lion or the bear came out and carried off a lamb from, from the flock, the music, the music changes right here, by the way, in the narrative. I went after it, which is unusual. Most of the time, a shepherd's going to count it up as a loss. Because there's no competition for a bear or a lion. So I went after it. I was struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth, period. Now, if, you see that, church? It's going to live. I got the lamb back, but it's going to live. But if it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Okay, so right there, everything changes. Those men that are sitting around that tent, you never heard of anybody hand-to-hand -hand combat kill a lion and kill a bear. So, I mean, right there, and even Saul's got to be sitting there listening to this thinking, okay, this is one bad motor scooter right here. If he can take it by his hand, he can kill that lion, he can kill a bear. That is pretty, that's a dude right there. So, I mean, Saul's like, all right, there's nobody else I'll go down there and fight. So, I used to think, oh, well, it's just that, let's just get it over with. But I'm thinking at this point that Saul's like, man, listen, you can go hand-to-hand -hand combat with a lion and a bear and you kill it. That's pretty tough. That's pretty good. Here's the thing is that David has got experience with God's victories. He's had, so whenever David's out there with, with doing, just going through his everyday life, he's been anointed king, but he hasn't been appointed. There's 15 years between the anointing and the appointing. He's living his kingdom purpose out there with the sheep by himself. And God sends the lions, God sends the bears to show himself strong in David's life. So now David's got a history with God. So whenever David comes up to Goliath, guess what? He's already got a history with God. He's seen how God has delivered him in the past. And he knows that how God has delivered in the past, the power of God in the past is also the God's power in the present. So I'm telling you, you live your kingdom purpose as you go. There will be lions and there will be bears as you go. As you walk among them, you will experience your kingdom purpose. Don't expect if you live in your kingdom purpose, there will be no lions and there will be no bears. There will be no big bad brothers. They're all there. They will be there, but you will experience it among them as you walk among them. David has experienced it right here, and he says that he will go fight Goliath. Do you know how the story goes? Swings that man. I mean, he wins the victory, but God's the one who does it. As he comes after Goliath, do you know what Goliath does? Goliath starts making fun of him. Goliath, once again, tries to speak him down, tell him, you can't do this. Well, I'm going to feed you. The I mean, he's just like making fun of him. Everybody tells him he can't. And he tells everybody what God can do. So be careful. We'll miss your kingdom purpose there. So Aaron replied to them, 
Y'all have went nuts. I'm waiting on Moses to come down. No way I'm going to do that for y'all. Y'all, we're going against God's will and God's word by doing this. No way will I do this. That's what we want Aaron to say, right? Aaron says, well, God, take off those gold rings. Take them off the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Y'all remember us talking about that? Maybe not. Okay, so why are we, talking about, why are we not taking them off the men? Because these were on the women, the children, because these were, they believe, would guard them from evil spirits. So he said, you'll take all those rings off, the women and the children, bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. He took, he took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool. Y'all need to remember that for next week. And made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your Elohims who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So I used to look at this and think, man, they just undercut God. They just took God totally out of the picture and just said, let's forget about Moses, let's forget about God, and let's just make our own little, God, little G gods, and let's just worship them. But something very interesting happens here. Do you know what a sacred cow is? Y'all ever heard that word before? It comes from this story. It's whenever you cannot give up, it's, it's whatever you cannot give up, because you believe your security, identity, and approval, fulfillment, or satisfaction depends on it. So y'all look at that for a minute. Because the heater is blowing like crazy up here. Oh, God. That was unplanned. I think I'm good now. We'll see in just a minute. I'm breaking a full body sweat right now, though. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it, and he made an announcement. There will be a festival to what? Look at that. To Yahweh tomorrow. So we got, we've got, he fashioned this golden calf, which if you, if you think about this, what they were worshiping back in Egypt was they were, they were worshiping all kinds of Elohim. One of them was a young bull. This bull was a bull of fertility for them. So here's what happens. Whenever things start going south on us, listen to me, Christian. When things start going south on us, we start reverting back to our past. Whenever things start falling apart in the present, we start reverting back to our past sins. Back to our past struggles, back to our past weaknesses. Those are the things that creep back up into our lives when that happens. So right here, when everything falls apart, you know what they do? They go back to their old religion. They go back to the Egyptian religion. They want a little, go a little Elohim. So here's what, listen, here's what Aaron does. Aaron thinks, okay, I'll build them a golden calf, but I'll just intermarry this with Yahweh. Golden calf? Well, I'll build that for y'all. Everybody just shut up. I'll make the golden calf. Y'all just leave me alone. Here's what I'll do. I'll just take it and I'll just marry it with Elohim. Have we done that in our culture? You know, we, don't, we want to do everything to get everybody, we don't want anybody to be offended. So we want to soften up the message as much as we possibly can because we don't want anybody to get offended by the Word of God. That way we can get as many people to come and sit in the church with us. Hey, let me tell you something. Once again, I'm not against a bunch of people sitting in church with us. I am against when we start to compromise the power of the word of God whenever we're just trying to get other people to just soft sell them the gospel. Amen. I mean, like, see, that was my problem in church for so many years is that I thought it was all about behavior modification because when you start soft selling the, the gospel, you start making about how good and how bad we are. 
and not about how good Jesus is. He is the only way to salvation. He is the one who has died for our sins. It's all the work that he has done. So we come under that. That is, that is the amazing thing of the gospel. It's not about my performance. It's about my position in Christ. Man, that, was, that, that just changed my mind, my heart, and my life whenever I realized that. Because all the way in church, I thought it was all about my performance. Man, I gotta be a good Christian. I gotta do this, gotta do that. We were intermarrying the gospel with the world. Behavior modification. Man, when that struck me, that's not about my behavior, that changed everything. So, he's going to have a festival for Yahweh tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings. Man, they're doing, they're even kind of going through the same thing God's told them to do. Offering burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. They're getting so close to doing it right, but instead of doing it to Yahweh, they're doing it to golden calf. I think Aaron's standing off the side thinking, okay, God, listen, this is all really for you. But there's confusion. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to party. Now, let me tell you something about the Hebrew word here for party. It's not as bad as some of you think. Our Bible translators got a little bit carried away with that, okay? If you go study that in the Hebrew, a lot of times it's, it's translated when someone's making fun of someone else. So, I mean, like to say that they're having um, an illicit party, it's kind of a stretch on that. They may have been, but it's kind of a stretch. The whole point of the message in this, in this whole text we just read right here from verse 1 to verse 6, isn't about how far off the people went. It's about how they tried to stay as close as they possibly could to the true God and yet do things their way. Have our, you know, just, we still want to be close to it, but we just want to do things our way. I want to come to church on Sunday morning, but I want to do what I want to do the rest of the week. I want to get into heaven when I die, but while I'm here on earth, I want to have a good time and enjoy myself. I just want to go my way with all of this. That's what we do here today. And then, so, so I got to ask myself a question. Am I, see, because there's eight problems in six verses here. The people seek, seek to create what God has already provided. He's already provided a way for them to worship. They're trying to make it their own way. Don't do things their way instead of taking God's initiative and their time. Their offerings are demanding rather than willingly presented to God. The elaborate preparations for making the, the tabernacle, they just want to do it their way. Make it right here, right now. Make a calf that we can worship. And they take the last one. We'll look at this right here. They take the personal active presence of God and they make it into something that's fake and phony that they made. So here, here's what I'm presenting to you this morning. I don't want to make this something fake and phony that we made it into. Man, we have got a real, active, present God that knows you, knows your heart better than you know your heart. What a wonderful thing it is to serve him today. So do you want a God that you can see and feel and touch? Look at this. Then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden after they had sinned. Think about this for a moment. They had God's presence come walking with them every single day. They could talk to God. I mean, evidently they could see God, whatever that meant, and yet that did not protect them from sinning. So just because you have got a God that you can see and all that, that will not protect you from sinning. 
That will not protect us from going off the wrong direction. You are saved by faith, grace through faith. Man, to have a God that, okay, let me get ahead of myself here. How do I cultivate patience while waiting? Look at your outline here. I've got to be willing to trust God's timing. So in John chapter 13, Jesus tells Peter, he said, you know, you can't follow for very long. There's coming a time now that you can't follow anymore. So here's what you have to understand. Peter, in his natural devotion, could follow Jesus. Okay? So whenever, whenever Jesus comes out, he's there in the boat. He throws the net out. He catches a big catch of fish. He draws it in there. And, and Peter says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And, and Jesus tells Peter, he said, don't worry about me. You're going to take men alive. Come follow me. So Peter could do that. He could look out there. He could see Jesus. He could follow Jesus. I mean, man to man, he followed him. And, and he got all the way down there at the very end. And Jesus says, okay, so now you're not going to be able to follow anymore. So Peter's got a question right here. So Peter asks him, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. His natural devotion, he could do that. But he needed supernatural devotion now. Because whenever they came and they came to arrest Jesus, everything changed. With a death and the burial, Peter came undone. Because Peter, whenever they arrested him, who denied Jesus three times? I mean, from all the disciples, who fell the worst? And you can say Judas did, and then Peter's right there with him, though. Peter denied him three times. He even knew him, called down curses on his own head. Do you know why Peter did that? It's because Peter thought that within and of himself that he could follow Jesus anywhere. He thought that he really could die for Jesus. But let me tell you something. He needed a supernatural devotion. He needed something now that only God could put within his heart to truly be able to follow him the way he needs to follow him. A natural devotion is not enough. I need the supernatural power of God working in and through my life. I will never make it in my own power and my own strength. So right here, Jesus says, you, you, you don't have something that you need to be able to follow here in the future. Peter thought that he did. Peter did not know his own heart. Number two, know that there's joy in the struggle. Notice I did not say you experienced joy in the struggle. Because sometimes when you're bouncing all around the back of the struggle bus, you go outside the back door and you got a rope hanging around your ankle and you get bounced across rock bottom, you don't experience joy. It just sucks the joy right out of you. But I got to know this. I got to know there is joy. So I know, even though I don't experience it, I know there is joy. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we talk about this all the time, the difference, the difference between happiness and joy. Joy is based on my relationship with the Lord. I know that sometimes when I'm getting drugged across the rock bottom, it's because my attachments are in the wrong place. My loves are disordered, and that God is trying to reorder my loves and get me to where I'm only depending on him and nothing else. Number three, stay rooted in prayer and thanksgiving. Don't worry about anything, is what Philippians chapter 4 says, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So Oswald Chambers said something in his, my most first highest devotional. He said that if we don't grow where God planted us, we won't take root anywhere. 
Man, that stuck in my heart. I read that a long time ago. If I'm not willing to grow where God's planted me. See, because God, for some of you guys realize this, God has chosen some of the things you're going through, but you choose the way you go through them. So some things I'm going through that I've got to understand this. God put me in this. That I'm out here, and the lions and the bears are coming, and God sent them. I don't think that David stood out there that day and he looked up and he saw a bear coming and goes, oh, good, man, finally get some action out here today. Cut it through the boredom. I think that when he saw the bear coming and the lion, he's going to have a natural, naturally in his heart, he's like, oh, no. But then there's something supernatural in him, the anointing of God, that gets him to get up and chase after, do something supernatural, chase after a bear and chase after a lion. And then the supernatural power of God that kills those things. So I don't think that when he first saw it, that he's like, oh, this is great. So don't, don't, be, don't be sitting here around a dang thing. Man, I am looking for lions and bears in my life. God sent them. We don't ever look at them and think, man, that's a great, wonderful thing. But we know this, that if we're living our kingdom purpose, that I know this, that whatever comes into my life was sent by God. He sent it there. He sent it with a purpose. But if I can stay rooted in prayer, man, Number four, meditate on God's word and promises. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. The Lord goes with you everywhere you go. Be courageous. So what does meditate mean? That's something we've lost in our culture today. To meditate means I just... Think about it over and over and over again. See, today I just want to just read a verse or whatever and just for, kind of move right on. But to meditate means just roll it over in my mind. Meditate on God's word and his promises. And that's going to help me to be patient while I'm waiting. Because I know that God is good. I know that God is here. And I know that God has led me into this place and this position for a purpose in my life. Number five, reflect on God's past faithfulness. Has God done some things in your life before? Have you seen and experienced God move in your past before? That's what we've got to be leading into today. Is that we know that in the past, he's done some stuff. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, listen, I, I think that whenever David stood out there on that day, and he points out there towards Goliath, and he says, man, the lion and the bear, I've seen God destroy them, and he's going to destroy this Philistine. I think that right there, he's like, man, this is the faithfulness of God in my life. I know what God has done. I know what God will do, and God did it. It amazes me to think about this. To hear this teenage boy comes out of the, you know, comes back the backwoods from nowhere, Bethlehem, and here he goes walking into this situation, and he has the only, of all the people there, he's the only one that has the word of truth. And the reason he's got the word of truth is because he's experienced the power of God in his life. Everybody's saying, you can't, don't, stop, back up. And he's saying, man, my God can, my God will. You just watch this. I mean, like in my sanctified imagination, I want to see him saying, don't just move out of the way, let me live my kingdom purpose. Because I know that it was Paul, I read his sermon, and Paul said, at the end of David's life, when he fulfilled his purpose, in his generation, he died. So it's like, move out of the way, let me live my kingdom purpose right here. Let me at him. And it said that whenever he approached Goliath, it said that he ran to the battlefront. Right. Don't think he was afraid on that day. Why was he not afraid? Because he had done seen the lion, the bear fall at his feet. 
And Goliath will too. Two application points this morning. I remember when I was a little boy, I would be outside sometimes. I think, man, I just wish that God would just open up the sky and just show me that he's real. Oh, man, if I just had God do some miracles, I'd believe then. Man, what is it? You know, I hear about all these other miracles God's performing, you know? You know, there's churches that, like, you know, gold dust is coming out, landing on everybody, and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, man, wow, I just saw those miracles. Man, I would, I would believe then. Well, miracles are no guarantee of faith. Look at this, what Jesus said. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Never in the Bible do we see people get miracles and they just have good faith. The people who see the, I mean, like, if you think about the nation of Israel, they're saying, hey, Aaron, you make us some Elohims right now that we can worship. They just went through the Red Sea crossing, by the way. They just saw one of the greatest miracles in the old day experience. I mean, like, you go walking through on dry land, you look at the both sides, I mean, God is holding back the water. You would think that would change you, right? You're thinking that, that point, oh, man, whatever God says, that's what we want to do. Evidently, it doesn't work that way for them. So miracles, don't be, listen, don't, you, you want a miracle? You want, listen, here. The greatest miracle there ever was was Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, hey, you know, there's people right now that are very skeptical of that. They do not believe that Jesus actually resurrected, physically resurrected from the dead. You'd like to go do a Google search? Go do a Google search on that. Search that one out. Look about, just go, just go search that today. Go search, put that in. The resurrection of Jesus. And look, put something in, just the proof of it. See what pulls up. You will see there is a whole lot of secular proof to the resurrection of Jesus. There are people outside of Christianity that wrote about the resurrection of Jesus. The life, the death, and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Well-documented historical facts. That's the greatest miracle of all right there. Okay. Our past struggles can swiftly regain a foothold on us. You know, and, and I would say, I, would, I wanted to put slash traumas right there. Our past struggles and our past traumas can swiftly get a foothold on us. <sighs> Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whoever thinks that he stands must be careful not to fall. So let me ask you a question this morning before we wrap all this up. When you look back at your past, what are the greatest traumas that you went through in your life? What are the greatest things that you struggle with in your life? Here's what I can tell you this morning. That those are the places in your life that can so quickly get a stronghold on you today. It can be like, you can have like one, two, three small things happen, bad, come at you from different directions, and they're not really that big, but the right timing on those, and then all of a sudden it pulls you right back in to that foothold that you experienced so many years ago. So I'm here to tell you this morning that does not mean you're a bad Christian. That does not mean you're a bad person. Because we all in this life have our struggles. We all have the things from our past that bother us today. If we gloss over this and we just talk about 
how easy and how great everything is, we're missing the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this. The truth of the power of the word of God is this, that it has the power to transform even those worst parts of our lives. Even when you're experiencing walking with Jesus and all of a sudden that bad stuff starts popping back up again, that does not mean you're not a Christian. That does not mean you're not saved. That does not mean you are not doing what God wants you to do. Think about this for a moment. Let's think about David. The people in his life who should have been supporting him, his big brother, his big brother, when, when David comes walking up, his big brother, Eliab, just said, oh, man, look, there comes David. Let me tell you something about my little brother. He's anointed of God to be the next king of Israel. Y'all back up and see what he's got to say about this. That's what Eliab should have said. Eliab should have been, man, I'm proud of my little brother. Instead of being jealous towards him. Hey, let me tell you something. You got to understand this. Some of you, you're raising children that have got anointing on them. And here's what I can tell you. The worst thing that you could ever do is try to extinguish that anointing on their lives. God's putting anointing on them. It's not going to make sense. But you don't want to be the one that's trying to squish that out, blow that out. You want to be the one that's like, oh, yeah. Is that what God's put on your heart? Let's pray about that. Is that impossible? Let's pray about that. Because, hey, let me tell you something. The people, the people who've got anointing on their lives, it's usually the people closest to them that try to extinguish the fire, that try to shut them down. I'll tell you one thing. I don't want to be that person. Let's all stand this morning. You know, so when I say your past struggles, I don't want you, I want you to understand something, too. This isn't your past sins only. This may be how your parents mistreated you growing up. Maybe when you felt abandoned by your parents. It may be when you were abused in your past. All different kinds of things like that. So when I say our past struggles... Don't think of it as bad things that I've done. Sometimes it's bad things that were done to you. And I mean, I know this much. I mean, there, I used to be ignorant and think that I'm the only one that ever experienced things in life. But I know this much. Everybody in here, we all have. One degree or another, one way or another. So if you're sitting here right now and you're like, man, I'm, no one's ever went through what I went through. Well, maybe not the same way that you went through it. But I can tell you, every person in here has been through something. All of us have. So when I say our past struggles right here, you know what that is. It may not be something you committed. It may be something someone did to you. And so I want to understand this. God's not going to cover that up. You may have had everybody around you say, cover that up, shut up, be quiet, don't say anything. But here's what I want to tell you right now. Is that's not God's voice telling you to cover all that up. God wants to bring healing to you. I'm not telling you to come up here and tell all of us today. I'm just telling you this much. God knows and God cares, and God wants to bring healing into your life. Whatever that is right there, the question is, do you want healing from it? 
Are you willing to come to God in prayer and just say, this is it? This is what happened to me. This is what they did to me. And just pray about it and, and be willing to go through the process. Because healing doesn't just come in a moment for everybody. For some of us, it's weeks. And some of it's months. Some of it's years. <laughs> Man, I mean, I've, I've had to go through some dark, deep stuff these last few weeks in my life that just didn't even know it was there from my childhood that I was like, wow, those things that were said to me, those things that were done to me, I like, I didn't realize how that messed me up right here. Those past struggles. Well, I was a five-year-old boy. <laughs> God took me there. He's like, this, that is why you're experiencing this now because of that. We got we to gotta address that, okay? The morning you're willing to do that, because that's where the healing is. Scott, we thank you that you love us so much that you care deeply about our deepest wounds and our deepest hurts. So God, I know that there's people here this morning that are hurting deeply, that the people that they love the most have hurt them the worst. And so God, today, right here in this moment, I pray that you would help them with that. If they need someone else to help them, I pray that you'd guide them to that person. <coughs> and if they're afraid, that you would guide that person to them and speak truth to them anyway. So as I was struggling with this, I told no one. And I was praying about it, and God was like, there's your problem right there. And I was like, that's not my problem. That's okay. Then someone close in my life comes and sits down on a couch next to me and just starts with no, no one saying a word to anybody and starts pointing that out that same day. That was a supernatural work of God. I was sitting there listening to that person. I was like, there's no way they can know. No one knows. I haven't even told Melissa. No one knows about this. This is just me and God talking. And this person comes into my life and sits down and says, oh, hey, you know that? When that happened to you? So here's what I'm telling you. If you really pray, you say, God, I, I need you to help me because there's something here. Then he knows. He'll point that out. And if you sit there and you go, that's nah, not it. Then he'll lovingly send someone there and go, yeah, it is that. And you need help with that. Let me speak some truth into your heart. That's not fun. I mean, I've been bouncing all over, the, you know, back out the, the struggle bus, cross rock bottom the last two weeks. Man, something wasn't fun. But I need it. You know, I need it. I need the lines. I need the bears. I need the big bag brother. I need those. Because I know this much, that's what leads me into my kingdom purpose. So God, today I pray for anybody here today that's hurting deeply. Maybe they, like me, are too prideful to reach out for help. But I pray and I ask you, God, that you would send someone into their life to speak truth. Your truth and your way 
to where they know that you see, you care, and you're going to help. So God, help us with the process. We're impatient. When we want, our, when we want you to help us, God, we want the relief right here and right now. We want out. We want back up the front of the struggle bus where it's smoother. It's got to help us in the process to be patient, to know that you're good, that you care, that you've got us, and that you're bringing healing and restoration into our lives. So help us with that, oh God. We need faith. So we pray you'd help us. So here's what I can tell you today. I know that some of you, God's speaking to your heart right now, you know, and you're going to turn around and get in the car and drive off. I understand that. But if you did want to talk to someone, if you do want to talk to someone, there's a whole bunch of people around here that have been through a whole bunch of stuff too that will not judge you, that will just listen and pray for you. So I can tell you right now, if you want to talk to me, I got no answers. I can do one thing. I can pray for you. That's all I got. Sometimes that's all we need. Man, that's, that's good right there, isn't it? Mm. So if you're ready to take communion this morning, if you go ahead and make your way to the, get the elements and come back to your seat.